You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. One, two, three, ho! This is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 8. For the second consecutive year, a team with playoff hopes, Super Bowl aspirations, has looked to Julio Jones to be the answer, the signing that can help them get to where they want to be. As Julio Jones now signs a deal with the Buccaneers, the question is, will it go better this year than it did last year? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. And Sarah, big NFL news today as Julio Jones has agreed to sign a one-year deal with the Bucs, sources told Adam Schefter on Tuesday. That's going to put him with Tom Brady, giving him another weapon for a 33-year-old wide receiver that last year the Titans hoped would be a piece they could put him over the edge, but frankly dealt with so many hamstring and health issues, he never was able to live up to that height. This feels like a huge name going to play with the huge name, but I wonder if it will have huge results on the field. I'm optimistic, and and this immediately feels to me like the kind of deal we used to see with the Patriots, Fitz, and we attributed it to that team and to Belichick and to Brady and all the different elements, and now it feels like maybe it really is just about knowing what you're going to get if you align yourself with the Hall of Famer Tom Brady, that he believes at this point in his career he can get something good out of this relationship. And the way Adam Schefter spoke about it today on radio and TV, there was almost a twinkle in his eye. Like, trust me, he'll be fine. He'll stay healthy. As if Tom Brady has, like, healing magical powers from the lakes of Minnetonka or something like that. When, in in fact, uh, maybe he just believes that Julio Jones will work harder and do more to be available with more on the line. I, I don't want to... I don't want to say that in a way that affects, you know, the perception of his character or otherwise, but it did feel like a very declarative statement to make about Tom Brady's ability to heal Julio Jones for the entirety of the season. Well, none of us know the full bounds of the magic of TB12, I guess. <laughs> That's uh, what we'll have to find yeah. out. But, you know, the the interesting thing for the Titans is that last year they went in thinking Julio Jones, A.J. Brown was going to be the wide receiver combo that would really set them over the top. I thought it would work out really well. Turned out it didn't. In fact, the Titans get the far worse end of the trade. I think they sent a second and fourth rounder to Atlanta to get Julio last year and had to cut him this year with the salary cap number that was going to hit about $10 million. He wasn't worth that, but there were flashes last year when he played really well, and when he played really well, you saw what he could be. I get concerned, though, when you start hearing things like chronic hamstring issues around a wide receiver that's 33. The difference, though, is when you think about the rest of this wide receiver core, he's going to be asked to take so little of the load compared to what he's ever had to do in his career he can pick and choose his spots maybe that in and of itself is going to give him the opportunity not saying that he's going to have a huge fantasy football year but he can make meaningful plays throughout the year because the world isn't on his shoulders yeah I mean it seems almost unfair as it often does and Julio Jones the name may not feel quite as powerful as it used to because of the injury issues but he still leads the league in receiving yards since 2014 and now he will be on the same team as Mike Evans, who leads the NFL in touchdown catches. Oh, and also throw in Chris Godwin and Scotty Miller and Brashad Perriman and Russell Gage and probably Gronk. Also Kyle Rudolph. I mean, you've got quite a bit of weapons for Tom Brady to work with here. There are still some questions on those changes, the two guards that have been replaced on the offensive line and how that will affect their ability to stay consistent. But 
man, if Tom Brady is not a magnet for guys later in their careers who want to make sure that the work that they're putting in counts. And if you're on Tom Brady's team, you're almost always going to have a shot. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the offensive line issues. I feel like as we've gone through two-a-days, we've said that about so many teams. Like, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago we were saying maybe there aren't enough quality quarterbacks to fill the NFL, and now I wonder if we should be saying the same thing about offensive linemen. I've been it saying it for like, years. I mean, there there are so Here in many Chicago, teams right now. We've been now. saying it for years. <laughs> now, obviously, everybody across the network has thoughts about it. Ryan Clark, ESPN NFL analyst, said this about Julio joining the Bucks on NFL Live. This is an if pickup, right? If mm. Julio is he- healthy, it helps us. This isn't one of those things that we are counting on him to be a day one starter and to be our X receiver and catch all these footballs. No, they have other weapons. This is if he is healthy, if he is able to be matched up on third and fourth corners on safeties and different things. This is a guy who can produce if, he, if he's available on the field. This is another Tom Brady pickup, a Julio Jones who is late in his career, who is no longer in his prime, who struggles with injuries thinking if I am healthy if I can get out there I've seen Antonio Brown produce without having to be the number one uh, target I can do some of the same things with a guy like Tom Brady I believe that's his thinking I believe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers thinking is if we get a little bit from Julio it helps especially in an NFC that looks like it's winnable I mean I'm not taking anything away from the Rams I'm just saying that the NFC is wide open compared to the AFC so why not go all in? Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Now, that's, you know, Julio Jones hopes to be somebody that the Buccaneers can rely on. You would think at some point the Browns are trying to figure out when or how they'll be able to rely on Deshaun Watson and Sarah. We have no idea when we're going to get the punishment uh, ruling, but we're mm-hmm. still sitting here as we get on the now as all the camps are open across the league. We still have no idea when they're going to say, what they're going to say, and how long it will impact the Browns. Yeah, and actually something Adam Schefter said today was news to me, and it was the approach that potentially the NFLPA could be taking to arguing for not much of a suspension for Deshaun Watson. Here's Shefty. Whenever Deshaun Watson comes back, it's going to garner a lot of attention one way or another. And so the NFL has been pushing for a lengthy suspension, and the NFLPA has argued that under the NFL's bylaws and constitution, that owners are held to the highest standard. And there have been other acts across the league involving owners that have not resulted in significant discipline. And so the NFLPA has argued that Deshaun Watson should not be subject to Mm -hmm. lengthy discipline. And we'll see what the federal judge rules in the end and whose side she agrees more with. I mean, that's a great way to argue because you know that the NFL has looked to protect ownership for years, whether it's Dan Snyder or Jerry Jones or others. So that's a very smart argument if you want to say to them, don't open Pandora's box because we will turn it on you and argue that the behaviors that you have uh, committed or exhibited have been equally as damaging, equally as as offensive to the character of the league. If that works, um, there's a whole nother discussion to be had about the NFL and how easily they can be manipulated by threats against those that they continue to protect. On the other hand, it's such a silly and absurd argument, and it basically amounts to the fallacy of whataboutism, which is to say, okay, but look over there. Like, that's really bad. So nothing bad should happen to me for all the terrible things I did. And if the NFL allows that to be the ruling decider, or I guess the retired federal judge who's making this decision, 
that's a different can of worms, Fitz. I mean, I really think if this suspension goes light and we have any inclination to believe that it's because they need to protect the higher ups, uh, that just makes all of the issues that we've talked about for months about this ownership, particularly with the, the Washington team, um, all the more offensive and upsetting. Well, and, and I think, you know, obviously there's a very direct comparison in the minds of some when you think about the Robert Kraft massage parlor situation. That it's there was not, no though. Part. I just want to make right. sure you know right. it's not. Right, 100%. That's where there I'm going with it. There was consent involved. Okay, just making right. sure. Because you mean, said that, it's a direct. Okay, go, go that, for it. That, no, that's the rest of the statement. Is <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, like, yeah. There are a lot of people that look at it and say you can, uh, I mean, quick Google search will show you Browns fans have been screaming this for months that Robert Kraft this, Robert Kraft that. It's a very different situation. Yes, number one, consensual. Number two, the numbers are far different on all of it as well. So, like, I think what's happening here with the whataboutism is, is frankly, just the league, uh, the NFLPA's job is always going to be to defend the players that they are required to defend. It's a smart defense to try and attempt to get it done that way. I would be stunned to see it work. That's the thing for me. Is like, I, but in the meantime, until we get some sort of an answer on it, the Browns are sitting here, you know, with their thumbs just twiddling, trying to figure out who their starting quarterback is. They have no idea who to play. They have no idea how to get reps. They're in a really interesting situation, Sarah, that there's no easy answer for. Yeah, and I was listening to Tannenbaum earlier today talking about Mike Tannenbaum, talking about how they're stuck having to prep four quarterbacks. Deshaun Watson, who probably won't play at least at the beginning of the season and hasn't played for a season plus. Then you've got uh, Jacoby Brissett, who needs to be you know prepped as if he's a starter and ready to go. If he gets injured, now you're looking at Josh Dobbs and Josh Rosen. I think both named Josh. It's hard to keep track of all the names of the people that are quarterbacks for the Browns right now. But you've got four players that you now have to keep pretty well prepped and ready to go for all the different circumstances, which makes things tough as they continue to await this news. But no sympathy from me. Just want to make that clear. Yeah, 100%. There, no sympathy, just also no information. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Saving you a motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. We're going to keep breaking down all the NFL fun. we got two a days to get to tonight, as we have been doing throughout the course of the last month. But the Commissioner's Cup and the WNBA is set to get underway in a little more than an hour. Sarah and I have something on the line that you are going to be a part of. We'll explain it to you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And it is the night. You know, we have tried to be, we, we've been civil so far, you know, throughout the course mm-hmm. of the season. There's been some back and forth between the Las Vegas Aces and the Chicago Sky. There, there have been some moments. One particular game we'll choose just to not acknowledge right now. <laughs> there have been some moments this season that have been full of drama. Those, these two have split their series so far. And now, tonight, it, it, it comes to its culmination short of the NBA championship, uh, WNBA championship, as we get the Commissioner's Cup starting at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, that will be, you can check it out on Amazon Prime. Super easy to go out there, find it on Amazon Prime, uh, and watch uh, these amazing women go out there and battle it out. It is going to be an offensive, absolute juggernaut matchup that is going to be wild and fun to watch, Sarah. Uh, and that makes me feel slightly confident only for a second because I never beat you at anything, but mm-hmm. I still feel good about the Aces being able to take on the Sky. I mean, this is going to be a tighter game than it should, considering that I think that the Sky are a better overall team and have a better chance of winning, say, a series. But in a one-off game like this, 
I just witnessed a handful of players from both of these teams live in person at the WNBA All-Star Game. I know the, the Sky had four uh, members of that team. I want to say that the Aces matched them with four. Maybe it was three. But they already know how to put on a show in a game like this, everything on the line. And your girl, Kelsey Plum, got the MVP that day in a shootout. And so if she comes out firing, looking to prove something in this game like she did in the All-Star game, uh, it could be lights out for my sky. That being said, the depth on my team and in a game that is more about defense and obviously involves coaching and preset plays and everything else, chemistry of the teams, um, my money still goes to my sky. There's just so many weapons. Emma Mieseman could be in the conversation for MVP this year, and she is down the list of people on the sky that you tend to hear about dominating and taking over games. For instance, people like Courtney Vandersloot or, or Candace Parker, among others. So um, this is going to be a good one. Yeah, and multiple uh, reports now that uh, Sloot will not be on any sort of a minutes restriction tonight yeah. to coming back from a concussion. I think that is absolutely huge in this matchup. And, look, this matchup is exactly what uh, – and it's where I think the, the Commissioner's Cup becomes a real success, not just because of the half million dollars on the line. I think that will have players fired up, obviously, the extra money that you can get also for being the uh, MVP mm -hmm. of the game. These are all incentives, but realistically what it's doing, the, the what this game accomplishes – is it gets some of the biggest stars in the league in a huge moment where they will play fired up uh, on a massive platform. So we're talking about a WNBA game, uh, you know, on a Tuesday because of this cup. So I, I think, you know, tip of the cap to the WNBA for what this can offer. My only hope is that when Kelsey Plum wins this MVP, she gets a bigger trophy. Uh, that that being <laughs> said, <laughs> you and I need to figure out what we're gonna what we're gonna bet here. Now, there's a couple of different levels to this. We know that we're going to do an avatar switch. We've done that in the past. You've had to make your avatar one other time, uh, an Aces mm -hmm. avatar for a day. So That was a little... regular season thing, and Candace yep. Parker was injured for most of the season, and the Sky went on to win it all, so I think I still won. Oh, see, this is this is my daily life. <laughs> I don't, yeah. uh, so we're going to do a little avatar battle, but I think uh, it's also it's time to go next level with it. And uh, given the fact that we are both, as you, I'll take your term, video vixens, uh, and we've talked <laughs> about the fact that I am in the new Walker Hayes Y'all Life video figure. It has a TikTok dance, so you and I should be doing some sort of a dance to this little auditory gem. Mm. Now, here's the thing, Sarah. Mm -hmm. I can't dance at all. I mean, there, mm -hmm. I, I can't dance at all. But that should put me right in the line of being TikTok famous, right? Like, because I see the people that are out there dancing, and they, most of them that are actually phenomenons on TikTok, can't really dance. So I feel like I got a pretty good shot here. Yeah, you and I are just the right demo for people who make a lot of money and get a lot of clicks for dancing on TikTok after somebody else invents the dance and is better at it. And if you don't yep, know what yep. that statement mm -hmm. means, go ahead and look it up. But uh, yeah, I'm not a great dancer myself. Um, and I do not have the benefit of years of experience moving my body along to country music whilst on stage like you do uh, as a former professional country music singer. So I might be SOL here if I were to lose which I will not, and more okay. importantly, I think, beyond the embarrassment of the dance, is that that avatar change will not just be the opposing team's mm -hmm. logo or something like we've done in the past. In this case, we will get to choose what the loser's avatar changes to, and it could be anything that will not get them fired, it is not considered pornography, and maybe isn't something that's like mean to any certain group of people or otherwise, but... It's all within reason. So we're going to get your suggestions at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz of what we should make the other person change their avi to if we, if we were going to win. 
Yeah, I like this concept a lot. I'm trying to think of like what food item you would be embarrassed to have as your avatar for a day. Oh, like, God. there's got to be something out there that is just not at all representative. Mm-hmm. Representative, just made of entirely you, yeah. of chemicals and no yeah. actual food products, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, like you know, there, there's got to be something there that that feels right. You know, again, reminding everybody, we work ultimately for Mickey Mouse. So if you wouldn't, <gasps> oh, if you wouldn't give it to Mickey, you can't give it to us. What do you got? Yours. What, do you, what do you got? What do you got? Remember when we spent a long time getting to the bottom of the middle name that you hate so much that you had it legally changed? Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm just thinking some sort of monogram situation that elucidates that situation for those oh. who are unaware, potentially allows people across the world to know what that name is. Mm. Okay, that's good. That's good. Mm. I'm not worried mm-hmm. about it. Like uh, uh-huh. The aces will come through and I will be fine. Uh-huh. Or I'll take the rest of the week off uh, sick leave. I don't know. I don't know. Like now, I'm suddenly very scared. Now I'm very scared. Uh, that, but you guys can chime in. We'll get your thoughts on it uh, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. Uh, you know, any any good idea of something wildly embarrassing for the other person that won't get anybody fired? Uh, we're all in for. That's not the big uh, only big piece of WNBA news to today, though. As uh, Liz Cambage has left the Los Angeles Sparks before the end of the regular season. Uh, went to the team and asked for a contract divorce. And this is a, you know, they, they've allowed it. She's gone. And now a weird and disappointing season for the Sparks takes another wild turn, Sarah. Yeah, it's um, honestly, it's disappointing. Uh, actually, you know, Clinton Yates spoke about an ATH and he said one of the more fascinating parts of this. I think the situation with Campage is very unfortunate. This is the fifth contract divorce in the WNBA this season. Players are starting to understand a little bit more about what they're doing. I really hope she can get it together just from who she is, because right now she does not play well with others, and it's really unfortunate to see it play out. Yeah, the last bit, of course, doesn't play well with others. A lot of scandals around Liz Cambage with her home team, the Opals in Australia, this team, previous teams. She has spoken openly about mental health issues, her previous uh, issues with substance abuse. Like She has a lot going on that I want her to get to the bottom of because her talent is undeniable. But beyond just that, it's the fact that this is a common thing. Jontel Lavender, Angel McCautry, Tina Charles, Bria Hartley, uh, Liz now, it's... It's, it's too much for a, a, a league that already is so difficult to get into and so hard to find a roster spot for teams and players to be having these agreed-upon uh, conscious uncouplings, as Gwyneth Paltrow would call it. Yeah, well, it is it is a wild story that we'll keep an eye on to see what it means for her future with the WNBA and what it means for the rest of this season for the L.A. Sparks, a season that has, has, again, been very interesting, and I don't think what they hoped it would be. In the meantime, it's our final day of two-a-days. We're talking about the Super Bowl representatives from last season. First up is the Bengals. We'll break it down next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. My Cubs did win another one. Thanks for the shout-out. If only I weren't crying inside deep in the recesses of my broken black heart and soul about Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ probably being gone, I might have enjoyed the win. Cry. Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, (laughs) Jason Fitz. The last vestiges of our World Series win slipping between my fingers like so many sands in the hourglass fits. It's ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and uh, we are taking your suggestions for what we should change our avatars to in the event that either of our teams, one of them's got to lose tonight, it's Sky versus AC in the Commissioner's Cup. Uh, we already had a great suggestion from a regular listener, uh, Asam, who said that yours should be the tuck rule play. <laughs> mm, thank you so much, Asam. Really appreciate you contributing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said I would be a jar of mayo. And you know what? I'm not a fan of mayo, but 
I have come around on the glow up that mayo gets when it gets renamed aioli and it's mixed with something delicious like a chipotle aioli. So I'm much kinder to mayo than Fitz's. Yeah, mayo's disgusting. There's aioli's gross too. So you, yeah. you just have all of that gross. <laughs> uh, Spade and Fitz, we are going to continue two a days. Let's talk a little bit about the Bengals because Fitz, we learned today that Joe Burrow is going to have an appendectomy. This was first reported by the NFL Network, confirmed by uh, the Four Letter Network here. And timetable is unclear, but likely within the next 48 hours, a source told our own Ben Baby about the procedure. And I heard someone try to put a spin on this that was positive, which is to say that if he's coming back from appendectomy, not to mention coming off a run to the Super Bowl and a tremendous season last year, there would be no temptation to play him in games that don't matter. And this might be the thing that keeps anyone from making the dumb decision of sending him out for any of the uh, preseason matches. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist fan, but if that's the result of this, I'm all in for that. Like, there, there is a point where well, I don't not think sure. there was a conspiracy there right. that someone, well. you know, uh, damaged his append- appendix, uh, thereby requiring appendicitis. I believe it was just, you know, sort of a spin. The the benefit of the doubt, or the benefit out of the situation, I should say, is that you know maybe you can get into this. Uh, situation where he doesn't play at all in the preseason I'd, I'd put him in bubble wrap if I had to like let's just make <laughs> sure that he stays healthy he stays safe and it's really frankly on the best for both sides because obviously Joe Burrow after this season will be up for a focus or up for a quarterback extension that's going to give him the opportunity to go out and get paid but more importantly when's the last time the Bengals went into a season with realistic Super Bowl expectations and I, I think that's got to be, if you're in the Bengals organization, you addressed your biggest shortcomings on the offensive line. You spent a lot of money there. You turn around and you look at this roster and you say, we're ready to win a Super Bowl right now. I mean, I think all eyes have nothing to do with what's happening today uh, with him. It has to do with how they're going to play in this regular season and can they actually get to a Super Bowl because they're that good. I completely agree. And I, there's a part of me, I, I believe it's the part that's been torched by teams like the Cubs or even the Bears that I I worry for Bengals fans. It's the same feeling I had that unfortunately came true when it came to the Browns. If you remember, I was dead on this thing about Izzy Gutierrez on around the horn jumping from the Browns have won a game unlocking the beer coolers across town to I would be surprised if they don't get 10 wins this season. And I said, whoa, 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 Izzy, Izzy, Izzy. Don't do that to Browns fans because when we have expectations so high, they don't get to enjoy just being remotely relevant. They don't get to enjoy putting up a win or two. Now all of a sudden expectations are so high that they'll be disappointed even when they're faring a billion times better than before. And that's my concern for the Bengals is that last year wasn't just Here's what happens when you put your car in the hands of a, a quarterback like Joe Burrow and he drives it in a way that you've never witnessed before in that town. It's about all the other things that went right. And I worry very deeply that this year, even if they take a little step back and they're out in the first round or second round, all of a sudden it's Super Bowl or bust for them and for the fans. And I don't blame them for feeling that way, but man, that stinks for a team that should just be happy to be in contention. Yeah, I think you got to enjoy the ride a little longer than that. Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. And 
one of the reasons that it's so easy to go straight to Super Bowl or bust is because they did it so non-conventional last year in the sense that we always hear that if your offensive line is hot garbage that your team is going to struggle. And uh, let's not get it twisted. Their offensive line was hot garbage. Mm-hmm. We went into every single matchup in the playoffs knowing that they were playing teams that could get after the passer. And those those teams did. The Raiders, the Titans, they got after Joe Burrow. They hit Joe Burrow. He's just one of those rare specimens that can be knocked down over and over and over again get back up and keep delivering a perfect football. We don't see a lot of quarterbacks wired the way he's wired. So I think part of the hope comes from the fact that you saw this team win in a way that you can't usually win, and now you see them go out and make for a more talented offensive line. But to your point, I still look at this division, and frankly, I think one thing that Bengals fans need to remember is that the Ravens were more impacted by injuries than any other team in the league last year. Like I think the Ravens are going to be much better, and the Browns look to be a very, very talented football team. We'll see what happens with their quarterback situation. So the Bengals are going to be in a dogfight in the second toughest division in the AFC. And then, by the way, if you don't win that division, you're going to be in a dogfight with a bunch of really good teams for those wild card spots. Like I just think this is a year where no matter how high the expectations are, you have to understand that a wild card is still a win in this wild AFC. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it is going to be even tougher, and perhaps the expectations of what it means to be successful has to change looking across the landscape. That I think that's tough to do, though, when you got as close as they did. And you did mention that offensive line that I don't know why you get appendicitis, but can you have like a, a an injured appendix from getting hit so many times in a Super Bowl that you <laughs> need to have it taken out? We'll look into that. They did do some work on the offensive line in the offseason. There's also some question marks. They didn't extend Jesse Bates. Um, be interesting to see what happens with that situation. They released Trey Hopkins. Um, you know, you thought that they might move him because of his cap hit, and they did end up releasing him after reworking their offensive line to, to get some free agents in there. But, you know, one of the better guys on that line seemed like an interesting move for them. Uh, they don't have a lot of those guys to play with. And, and so we'll see if the moves that they did make in the offseason protected him better. Um, that's going to obviously, to your point, be the biggest question mark throughout is, you know, you can't expect your superstar quarterback to get hit that often and to be running around in circles that much and have it just be okie dokie every game. He did a, a ton with not a lot last year. They're going to need to help him more this year. Well, and I do believe that the Bengals organizationally are also in a situation they haven't been in in a long time. When it comes to Jesse Bates, you know, obviously he wants and and I think has played his way into a massive contract and holding out now as he waits to see what that money looks like. If you're the Bengals, you got to be a little bit careful because you are in a rare spot for your organization. You've drafted really well, and you got a bunch of guys you're going to have to pay. So you're going to have to figure out what you'll prioritize, how you'll do it, and you better keep drafting really well. So, you know, this is not a situation. This is what successful teams deal with all the time. But I do think it's a little bit more of a turning point for a lot of teams than it gets credit for when you start realizing, you know, we asked the Bills the other day with a big change in the organization. Front office has such a big part to do with it because you got to figure out who to extend, when to extend them, what the right move is. So I, I think the Bengals are in a bit of an interesting situation as they continue Uh, to move forward so uh, obviously it's going to create some chaos they're going to need to continue to be explosive offensively there is no doubt about that and Tony Pike host of Cincy 360 on ESPN 1530 said this about the offense on Kenny and Carla if you look from Jamar Chase to T Higgins to Tyler Boyd 
Hayden Hurst is a former first-round draft pick that the Bengals picked up at tight end. I think he's going to be an upgrade from C.J. Uzama. You then have the offensive line that's been retooled. Joe Mixon's coming off a 1,000-plus yard season, and now he's running behind his best offensive line to date. So from a weapon standpoint, this team can explode in many different ways. Yeah, I, I don't doubt it. And you saw that they have confidence in that in their draft because they had six draft picks. Five of those were on the defensive side of the ball, and one was an offensive lineman in the fourth round. They told you they believe in the weapons they have offensively, and they know they need to continue to address the other side of the ball. We'll keep addressing the entire NFL as we go through the, the course of the rest of training camp, but we've got one more team left to get to on two-a-days. We'll do that later in the show. But we got a bet on the line for tonight's Commissioner's Cup and the WNBA. We'll update you on that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We'll get to the payoff for the Commissioner's Cup game tonight, Aces versus Sky. And you can watch that game on Amazon Prime. Fits well, conversation for another time about getting some of these bigger games onto mainstream media, linear television, easier places to watch. But you are able to watch 8.30 p.m. Eastern Prime Video streaming Aces versus Sky for the Commissioner's Cup. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Those are our two teams facing off. We've got a bet on the line. We'll get into that in a moment. But I also wanted to take this moment to acknowledge uh, an event that's been going on since Sunday. Tour de France for women. Tour de France Femme. Uh, it began on Sunday, and uh, this is the first time in years that there has been a multi-stage women's race at the Tour de France. There, in its history, were several times uh, when the women did race, and for a, a while, decades ago, they had an equal place alongside the men. And then one of the men in charge decided that women were not capable or qualified or deserving, removed them entirely, and a, a group of, of people... Um, campaigning behind Catherine Bertine, who's a former ESPNW editor, ESPN columnist, and professional cycler herself, um, sort of fought for the return. And that included, uh, for the last few years, just a one-time stage on the Champs-Élysées earlier on the same day as the day the men's tour finished. But now, fits this year, a multi-stage race with a lot more money, mountain stages, hill stages, all the stuff. And Catherine Bertin, who, as I mentioned, is a former colleague of, of mine at ESPNW, is on my podcast this week. Uh, and she talked a little bit about what it was like to get into professional cycling, which she first did for a column for ESPN, where she was challenged to try to qualify for any Olympic sport. Uh, here's a little of what we talked about. Here's this week's Nod to the Pop. When I was on the ESPN assignment, which really took me through 2008, right? And so I, you know, I started road cycling in 2007, then we're in 2008. And um, at this point, the assignment itself is wrapping up, but my love of cycling is like full blast. Like, oh my God, this is so much more than a magazine assignment. I want to keep going. But what's interesting is that as I started road cycling, I saw all these crazy inequities that I'd never seen in any other sport that I played. You know, namely, women are not invited to all the races that men are invited to. Um, and then for the at the professional level, the women don't race the same distance that the men race, and they certainly don't earn the same prize purse that the men were earning. So that struck me as very odd. But of course, 
I was still on assignment with ESPN and the whole assignment was like, try to get to the Olympics. So I kind of filed these inequity facts away. We had contracts where basically we were supposed to be, you know, smiley and happy and just promote the good side of sport. And unfortunately, because of this antiquated director, you know, the whole idea, like if you said anything um, that was considered controversial, then the director could do two things. One, just simply not race you, you know, put other racers in your place and then two, kick you off the team. So I think that for me was the, the biggest, um, the biggest thing to, to have to acknowledge. And I also didn't want to get any of my teammates, you know, in trouble, so to speak. Like if I, if I brought a problem to the table, like, Hey, this director, she's been pretty effing awful to me right now. You know, that put my teammates potentially in a position to say, right. well, you know, and well, gosh, I... isn't that a through line in women's yeah. sports? The yes. idea, just be grateful for what you have. If you oh. rock the boat, you could lose everything. For more, please subscribe and listen to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain on your smart speaker or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, Fitz, it was kind of wild to learn that it was actually in most female professional road cyclists and professional cyclists contracts that they were not allowed to publicly talk about inequities like not having races at the Tour de France, not being a part of certain major events, prize money, not having a base salary unlike the men. Up until a few years ago, in part because of Catherine's fight, there also used to be a minimum average age of the women on a team, which they didn't have for the men and was unrelated entirely to you know ability or when you peak, at, at what age you peak or anything like that. Um, and none of it was really allowed to be discussed by anyone involved for fear that they would be cut from their team. What is alarming to me is the lack of uh, thought that goes into that from the people that put those policies in place. Because you and I talk a lot about whether it's different leagues or organizations, understanding at certain points you're not going to be able to hide behind much in today's society anymore. So the faster you just come out and say, yes, we did this or, yeah, we need to work on this, I think the better it's received and the more opportunity there is to actually you know, build the, the right way. When you hear things like that, it, it speaks to such an antiquated mindset in how you're supposed to approach all of it, knowing that at some point it's all going to come out. So you can either be a part of it and be part of the solution or you can, when all of the information comes out, be part of the oppression. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why leagues and sports and organizations aren't looking within right now and saying, hey, let's address every problem and just get ahead of the curve. And we don't know how to address it. Let's get better people in the room that can help us figure that out. And when things like this are brought up, instead of trying to hide behind sort of a smile and a mindset that feels very 50s or 60s, let's actually come out and have real conversations about how to improve and how to get better. I just think that that would actually gain you more fans than the controversy loses you in the process. I completely agree with you. And it's it's equally as troubling and, and fascinating to me when I see that the misogyny or the antiquated beliefs are so deeply baked in that leagues or groups are willing to lose money to dig their heels in. You know, we saw this with the NCAA women's basketball tournament that was being valued at around $60 million a year and that the NCAA was so invested in not promoting it in not allowing it to succeed because of their deeply held beliefs about its value, that they were blowing money every year that they could be making on it. The same goes for so many things across women's sport. The data is there now. It's not just the subjective, 
hey, you should give this a shot and see if it succeeds. You know, give it some TV time, give it some some interest, uh, because subjectively we believe it's a good product and the right thing to do. The data is now there that proves that sponsors and companies are losing out on massive dollars and massive return on investment by ignoring women's sports right now. And so you look at something like cycling, where it took her five plus years of petitioning to get a meeting even with the powers that be in cycling. It's funny in the book Stand, which we talk about, she learns how to say crickets in multiple languages because of all the different people from different countries that she writes and doesn't hear back from. Uh, and so um, it's it's a really interesting podcast. I urge anybody to listen to it, even if you're not interested in cycling. I was not particularly, but listening to her you know, go through all the things that she endured because of her desire to fight for this, which included being cut from teams, being physically assaulted by a massage therapist with like a buffalo horn, being cut from races, uh, enduring a divorce, a traumatic brain injury that landed her in a hospital in a foreign country where she didn't know who she was, um, suicidal ideologies, post-divorce after she had spent all of her time working on this documentary and this book she was writing and all the fight that she was doing that had that point amounted to not much in the way of, of a life for herself. Um, and all the things that she put into this fight to result in what we're watching now, which is this Tour de France for women, fully not equal yet, not the same amount of stages, not the same amount of money, but getting so much closer. And you can watch it on CNBC. You can watch it on Peacock streaming. Um, so give it a little time. Give it a shot to watch and think about, you know, how much work went into it. Yeah, that's the the wildest part is how much work. And we talk about this all the time, constantly goes into these conversations. But also, I, I think what's alarming to me so often is how much work is put on the squarely on a few individuals. Like there's just a a part of me that looks at the, at the responsibility of anybody that's an ally in any cause and saying, hey, what are we doing to have better conversations? I just think everybody could be a better part of that. Yeah, I agree. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. The road to the rematch is on as bantamweight champ Juliana Pena and former champ Amanda Nunes go head-to-head -head as coaches on the historic 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Stream the series now exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Of course, the conversations I had with Catherine Bertine on my podcast could be transferred over to so many other things. Women's basketball, women's professional soccer are among them. And we watch tonight as the Commissioner's Cup happens between my Chicago Sky and Fitz's Las Vegas Aces, and we watch it on Amazon Prime instead of somewhere right in front of our faces on linear television or somewhere it would be easier to access. And so that reminds us that the fight continues to try to get the attention and, and the investment. Um, we will update all of you on some of the suggestions you gave for the avatars that we should give each other in the event of a loss or a win for one of us a little bit later in the show. Uh, but we're going to get you set for the games. We're going to give you the context of the Commissioner's Cup. Why is it so important? Why is this one game in the middle of the regular season something worth talking about? And what's on the line for the players and the teams? It's all coming up next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're about a half hour away from the start of the Commissioner's Cup, WNBA's in-season tourney that my Sky and Fitz's aces have found themselves in. And Shelly, you wouldn't, I'm sorry, surely you wouldn't want to lose a bet on this game. Uh, but to get to the stakes of the game for the players and not just us, let's bring in a guest. Tonight, a matchup between my team and Fitz's team. And contrary to popular belief, it is not called the Commissioner's Cup after yours truly, the Commish. It is, in fact, <laughs> Commissioner Kathy Engelbert of the WNBA. 
the Aces versus the Sky, and Tarika Foster, WNBA reporter and co-host of Around the Rim podcast, joins us now to talk about it. Tarika, let's just talk brass tacks here. Why is this one regular season game so important, and what's on the line? Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me, guys. And it's extremely important just for a few reasons, Well, It doesn't count towards their regular season record or anything, so there isn't going to be any seeding implications with who wins or loses, but it certainly helps to fatten their pockets. Um, there is $500,000 on the line in, in a charity money. There is $300,000 on the line that goes to the players. Um, $30,000 goes to the winning team. Um, $10,000 goes to the players on the losing team. And an additional $5,000 goes to the player who wins MVP. So if for no other reason, you're going to play your butt off in this game because you want to get paid. Uh, That is is a darn good reason, too. So when it comes down to these two teams, they're obviously familiar with each other. They both had really good seasons. What do you think the difference maker will be tonight? Well, honestly, I think it's going to be a a huge offensive show out here tonight. I think that the Aces definitely have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder because earlier in the season, um, they were a part of history, but on the wrong side of it when it comes to playing Chicago. And at the end of the game, the freaking Las Vegas Aces. I'm so sorry, Jason, to tell you this, but they lost. They How them, do you lose? <laughs> How? How does that happen? I don't know if, if anyone can ever put their finger on it, but afterwards, um, Becky Hammond basically said that this team should be ashamed of themselves. And so while they are completely different since then, defensively they've gotten a lot better. I do think that Las Vegas has a chip on their shoulder for that. They're not going to forget that that happened earlier this season. And so they're going to come out with a little bit more defensive effort than they put in the first time around. So I think that is something that we should be expecting to see. But offensively, these two teams are ridiculous. Jackie Young, point guard for the Las Vegas Aces. She's amazing. She's efficient. She can hit shots, contest it. But then you got Slu and Quigs on the other side of that. And so, like, where do you go? You know, who, who's that person that does it for you? Um, and, and this is just a matchup that if you are an offensive person, this is a matchup that you really want to see. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to WNBA reporter and co-host of the Around the Rim podcast, Tarika Foster. You can follow her at She Knows Sports. Yeah, in the previous meetings of this team, the Aces took the first one and Sky took the second And as you pointed out, a tremendous comeback. So they've Mm -hmm. got that sort of vibe of no matter whether we look out of this, we can always come back and take it. Sloot is also back from being out with concussion protocols for the last couple games. How Mm -hmm. big of a deal is that? I mean, to me, going to that game last week against the storm that she was out of and seeing in person, it's a completely different team without Courtney Vandersloot. Absolutely. She's the driver of this offense, honestly. I mean, every time she gets the ball, it's really – I feel like she's just toying with defenses. Like, that's just how good she is. And they run a lot of their offense through Courtney Vandersloot. They're pick and roll. They're off the dribble handoff. They're split cut action. All of that runs through Courtney. And so, with her being on the court, you have a facilitator and you have someone – who not only knows where to place the ball, but she's so dangerous behind the arc. And so when we talk about Las Vegas and needing to bring that defensive intensity, when she's on the court, you have to multiply that times three. Um, And and you could have seen that throughout the the course of the time that she was out in concussion protocol, that even though Chicago was able to still offensively be efficient, it's just totally different when she's out there. So 
going to be interesting. At least I yeah, think so. <laughs> well, yeah, so do we, Tariq. And, and, you know, you mentioned defensive energy and effort that's got to come from Vegas. And, you know, we've, we've joked about it on the show. I'm aware of it. I think all Aces fans are aware of the lack of depth for this team. As much as they're mm-hmm. asking from the superstars on this team, in your mind, is that a sustainable way for the Aces to go, not just through this game, but through the rest of the season? Yeah, I do think that it is sustainable. And that's just because anytime you've got Asia Wilson in your lineup, you better believe that, you know, there's an opportunity there for you to make some noise and, and do some damage. And so that's it's been the issue for Las Vegas for much of this season. Um, they have the offensive depth, but the defensive depth has really been their issue. And and so, again, when you're playing a team like Chicago that has so many weapons from so many different places, you really have to put not even just effort in terms of, you know, being on the courts and being minutes, but you, you literally have to figure out who can you stop for Chicago? And that is a problem because there's no definitive answer. If you put Asia, if you pressure Candace, you still have Quinn, you still have Blue, you still have Dana Evans has been amazing for this team as well. She's been very streaky, very spotty. Like, it's just, who do you stop? Azurae Stevens can still, like, who do you stop? Honestly, pick, pick someone. This is one of those situations where you're just going to roll the dice and whoever you, whatever number shows up on that die, that's just kind of where you got to gamble and go with because any moment, any of them can be dangerous. And so for Las Vegas, they're a team that legitimately has a shot to be the reigning champions this year. Like they haven't, they, I think that this matchup that we're going to see tonight can literally be the finals matchup this year for the WNBA championship. And it is going to come down to as much as defensive pressure they need to have. It's really going to come down to who's going to outscore who. That's really like, that's really what it's going to come down to. Who's going to outscore who. If you can stop at least two thirds of the lineup for Chicago, if you're Las Vegas, you've got a great chance of winning this game. And the same thing can be said for Chicago on the defensive end. If you can stop two thirds of this Las Vegas offense, You've got a great chance of winning this game, and they've done it before. They each have had an opportunity to do it before, but it's just such a gamble because at any given moment, any player on that court can be the one that can hurt you. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, looking ahead to tonight's Commissioner's Cup between my defending champion, Chicago Sky, and Fitz's lacking depth, Las Vegas Aces. Uh, Tarika, <laughs> I, I want you to tell us what we're seeing from Candace Parker. She's moved into ninth all-time in scoring. Mm-hmm. She passed up Sylvia Fowles, who's still active and battling back and forth for that spot. Uh, recently uh, took over, I think, fifth all-time in rebounds. Um, she's just been outstanding. I hope this isn't the last year for her. It doesn't feel like she's given us retirement vibes. But if she were to lead the team to a second straight championship after returning to her home Chicago team uh put that into context yeah that would be you know one of those monumental moments that when you want to walk off into the sunset on a high note there's no better note than to do that on a back-to-back championship Candace Parker has given hints that she's considered retiring that she considered whether or not she still wanted to play this game and how much she has left. And she recognizes that she's getting older, but then we see her on the court, the continual, you know, triple double, the triple doubles that she's put up this year. You've mentioned her shooting efficiency. You've mentioned, you know, how she's moving up the ranks and 
Candace Parker is really one of those once in a lifetime, one, one of those generational players who has defined this game. Her mark on this game is one that will transcend the test of time. And it would be an honor for us to see her leave on such a high note. But at the same time, it would be bittersweet. We don't want to envision a WNBA without Candace Parker. And with all of the drama that's going on in, in LA at the current moment, it kind of makes you think like maybe there was some foresight that there was a good thing and she made it out of there, you know, at the time that she did. But mm-hmm. we say all that to say that there are just certain players who, you know, we, we say this about Sue Bird as she, you know, in her last year. We say this about Diana Tarazi as we don't know when she'll be done, but we have to assume it might be getting close. But we say this about so many players that we don't know, you know, what this league will look like when that when that player is no longer in it. And I don't think any of us are willing to accept that, you know, Candace Parker ready. is getting towards no. the end of her career, no. right? <laughs> no, we're not ready, Tarika. And hopefully she will put on a show to remind us she still got it tonight. En route to a Sky win, Sky securing the bag, and me making fits to a TikTok James' avatar. No, the best way, remember, the best way for her to come back is for it to be bittersweet. She doesn't win these things, and then she wants to come back for another year because she wants to win. No, we want to win all the things. That's how we do around here. Uh, Tarika, thanks so much for the time. Everyone, check out the Around the Rim podcast. Follow her at at She Knows Sports. Thanks, Tarika. Thanks, Tarika. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Jason. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And now a no-frills ad brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Here it is. You could say big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. That's it. See, just a good old-fashioned, straightforward ad. See if you could save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or Progressive.com. Coming up with almost every team officially in training camp in the NFL. So many stories to discuss. We'll do it with NFL Quickies. Next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. And Sarah, we're asking out there for your help on a bet. We'll, uh, we'll get you some ideas of what we've decided on as the Commissioner's Cup will tip off in roughly 12-ish minutes uh, for the WNBA between the Aces and the Sky. So we'll get you caught up on what our bet looks like for that. But there are so many things going on across the landscape of the NFL, Sarah. We have to do it. Get to all of it the way only this show can. It is time for some quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. All right. We start with one of the weirder clarifications. I'm not sure that any of us really knew that we needed this. But in an offseason that has seen the 49ers commit to Trey Lance as a starting quarterback, in an offseason that we thought Jimmy G would get traded, in an offseason they've made it clear that Jimmy G's people can look for a trade destination. Well, Kyle Shanahan, the San Francisco head coach, doubled down at his press conference when he said this about their quarterback situation. Jimmy understands where we're at. We understand where we're at. Like, I can't tell you how appreciative I have been of Jimmy and him being here and so appreciative of what he did for us last year. I think Jimmy and we knew what move we made the year before on that. Um, Jimmy did a hell of a job coming to camp and winning that job and taking us real close to the Super Bowl. Um, but we have uh, moved on to Trey. We're starting camp out this way. Um, we think Jimmy would have been traded if the surgery didn't happen. Uh, and it did. He needed to do it. So there's no ill will there at all. Weird clarification. Extremely weird. All of it is weird. Here's partly why. Again, like you pointed out, we all knew that they were making the move to Trey Lance. We all knew that he was going to be the one given the reins to start. But there were still some questions and debates on our very airwaves about whether or not it might be okay 
If they hung on to Jimmy G, understanding that he had already handled this transition well and very professionally, and that if they were forced to hang on to him, it'd be a nice backup plan to have if Trey Lance got hurt or something went terribly wrong. We had sort of talked ourselves into believing that it would be a possibility at least. Now they've removed that from the conversation, and that doesn't help them in any way. They already had very little leverage because teams knew that they don't want to keep him around, but now you've told everybody we don't want to keep them around. And the cost to your team of just eating that contract instead of being able to find a deal is 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 a, a bad move. So why would you make it any less difficult? I mean, you're making it easier for teams to offer you less. Yeah, that's one part of it that makes no sense. Also, I'm not sure that I see a great destination for him anywhere. Like, I understand this concept of this is Trey's team. I don't understand why you felt the need to announce it. Now, I've seen some of the beat writers that cover – the team uh, post on social that you know this was this would squish any hope that some fans had that maybe Jimmy G would still be the quarterback. But I don't know why you're talking to your fans at a press conference. I don't think you are. So mm-hmm. you know I I have a hard time buying that. I don't know if you're talking to the locker room, but if Trey Lance is really your guy, you don't really need to talk to the locker room either. That should be really easy to see. So I'm confused by all of it, Sarah. It makes it makes very little sense. Let's get to the next story. Quickies. Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow will be uh, going under. He'll have an appendectomy. Uh, We don't know the timetable for the procedure, but it's clear it should be done in the next 48 hours, as sources told ESPN. So veterans reported Tuesday ahead of the first official training camp practice on Wednesday. He's going to have an appendectomy. I don't think this is anything we worry about going into the season, Sarah, but it just means that no Joe Burrow for the beginning of camp. Yeah, someone pointed out he has yet to have a remotely normal camp. There was the season that there were uh, absolutely no preseason games of any kind because of COVID. So that was uh, the first time he was around. The next year, he was recovering from ACL surgery uh, after tearing his his, uh, his ACL in a regular season game. So had to take it easy there. And this year, uh, throat contusion, dislocated pinky, made it all the way to the postseason, was supposed to, you know, make it healthy into this preseason, and now we got the appendix. So this guy is just determined to never show up 100%. Yeah, I mean, this concept of you're never going to feel better than you do at the beginning of camp, I don't think that uh, Joe Burrow knows that at all. So uh, most importantly, I just wanted to show everybody that, yet again, I can say appendectomy. I'm starting to get really, really fancy around here. So uh, let's go to the next story. Quickies. Julio Jones signing a deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, sources say. Uh, He will, the 33-year-old wide receiver, now become part of an array of weapons available to Tom Brady. And, Sarah, you know, this is one of those moments where you have a veteran quarterback with a veteran receiver, and you got brands, you got names, you got all of these things, but you also have two guys that know so much football being reunited together in a way that they don't necessarily have pressure for him to be the number one. It feels like Mm -hmm. this is – the rich getting richer and the winning continuing to find a way to win. It really does. And that's what Tom Brady has earned himself with his successes, with his ability to elevate lesser known talent. Imagine what he can do with someone like Julio Jones if he stays healthy. Uh, Jones leaves the Falcons, breaking the hearts of Atlanta fans as the career leader in catches, yards, second only to Roddy White in touchdown receptions, and his 91.9 receiving yards per game is the best per game average in NFL history. This is Tom Brady getting another plaything to add to a list of quite 
excellent weapons and it makes you feel a little bit better as you head into this season if you're the Buccaneers um, about his ability to run it back all again. Yeah, imagine how different this would all look for the Buccaneers right now, not just with Tom Brady, but with everybody else if he hadn't come back. It'd be a wildly different story mm-hmm. right now. Let's or if he'd ended next... up on the Dolphins, which we're still not talking yeah. about. Which we're still, like, all of these players so would weird. be in Miami. Where would Tyreek Hill be in all of this? I don't know. Would he still be convinced that yeah. Tua is more accurate than Brady since he said he's the most accurate quarterback uh. at the end of What are we doing? Let's go to the next story. Quickies. Deshaun Watson, we don't have any update yet on when there will be a punishment, what that punishment will be. But we do now know as we get into camp that essentially the Browns are having to prepare for every option in a very different way, Sarah. They're essentially, by not knowing what they have at quarterback and when they will have Deshaun Watson at quarterback, it forces them to go into camp playing essentially everybody they possibly can while they have no idea what it's going to look like. Yeah, I mean, this is the situation they got themselves in and they are stuck here for now. And they don't know how many games they'll be gone. They don't know if there will be an appeal that will lessen that suspension. Uh, they don't probably know exactly what they've got with Jacoby Brissett. Uh, and they probably, unfortunately, do know if it moves past Jacoby Brissett, it's a lost year for them. And um, that's why this is a wild swing for my expectations for the Browns. And I know we haven't gotten to making our picks yet, but there are a couple teams. The Niners, who we just spoke about, because I have no idea what to expect from Trey Lance in his starting season here. Um, but the Browns, I mean, the swing could go from – and even if Deshaun Watson does play a significant number of games, he's been out a long time. Yeah, we should be allowed to not pick the Browns this year because I don't think anybody has a real idea what's going <laughs> to happen. All right, we'll get to our final team of two-a-days. It's here. It's the defending champion Rams. We'll get you set for this their season next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. And as always, hanging out with you on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You know what we've been doing. We've gone through 31 teams. It's taken, I don't know, 16 of these days because we do two in a day. Check out my big math. We have gone through every single team in the NFL for two a days. And now we are down to one final team left. The last team that was left standing, the Super Bowl champion, Los Angeles Rams. I thought we had the big fancy production there, but maybe maybe we don't. You know, that's what happens. Los like, Angeles Rams. Dum, dum, dum. Well, you know, I I still made we made it sound cool anyway. Uh, we're we're gonna get the Rams breakdown now from ESPN Rams reporter Sarah Barshop joining us. Sarah, appreciate you hanging out with us, even though we don't have the big fancy you know uh, production to come into it. It has been a fancy production of a year for the Rams. So uh, when you look at where they were in January, as Super Bowl champions, to where they are today, what's the biggest change that's happened to the roster? I think it's those contracts that were given out. And, yes, Cooper Cup was already under contract, you know, Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, but they've recommitted to them. They make sure that, made sure that Cup and Stafford were under contract through 2026. They made sure Aaron Donald did not retire and came back. And soon, I'm guessing, probably before the start of the regular season, Sean McVay and Les Snead will get new contracts too. So when you win the Super Bowl – you want to keep as much of the band back together as you can. And they've done a really good job of doing that. We buried the lead here that somehow Sarah Barshop managed to get herself bounced from the Texans beat to the Super Bowl champions. Uh, it's really I mean, impressive is, glow up. That is, that it's right up there with right the there. whole Mayo Aoli thing we discussed earlier. <laughs> um, so the expectations now, they've proved themselves. They made the Matthew Stafford deal look like a genius one. They proved that they could 
flip picks uh, for established players, and Les Snead even wore the T-shirt to the parade. What's in the way now? What are the repercussions of those decisions that maybe you were willing to give up in order to get the title and now you have to pay for? I think it's, it's, I don't know that that would affect them this year. Um, I just think as, you know, you look at the big contracts they've done that, and you trade the picks, you know, it does mean that down the line, um, you know, the repercussions are like the team I used to cover and not having first round picks really hurts the Houston Texans. I don't know if that's going to be the same case in Los Angeles. But I think they give themselves this window um, where maybe they don't feel the repercussions right now. Um, but if the salary cap doesn't go up as much as they, you know, hope and think it might, um, if Aaron Donald decides, hey, I don't want to play that much longer, that's probably when you feel some of those repercussions. Um, but right now, I think they they look at their off season and they feel like they've bought themselves, you know, a bigger window, or certainly extended the Super Bowl window. One of the more interesting stories that was there for a second and sort of flashed and went away was Sean McVay and some reports that maybe he's just not that into coaching, wants to go home and and be with his family. You're around the team at this point. You see him all the time. What's his energy and passion level look like from the outside looking in? Man, I mean, there's a lot of energy. It it was Mm -hmm. interesting. Today was a kind of a slower practice. They were just in T-shirts and no helmets because they've had two days and this was their deload day. And, he was so he could hear a little bit more because it wasn't as loud. There wasn't music blaring, and I could kind of hear him coaching. And he's calm, you know. He he's just giving instruction, but he's still loud and very energetic. You know, like I guess it's not like he's yelling, right? It's just you can tell how excited he is to be there. And um, you know, that's again something I I thought was interesting. What you know, would he retire if he wins another Super Bowl? Will he decide? You know, I am done coaching. I don't know. After watching him on the field. You know, you can just tell how much he loves being out there. And so I've only been around him a short time, but it, it it would have been surprising to me if he had decided to get away from coaching after this season. Well, we felt the same way about Aaron Donald, right? What is it about that team? And was it just you won it all? This is time to think about going out? Or, or what was it about this team that had two of the key players in their success thinking it might be time to wrap? I wondered if part of it was the culture around the team, um, just how much how important how how much there is importance outside of football. Like for Aaron mm. Donald, he's talked about how important it would be for his fam- you know to be around his family more. Um, Sean McVay just got married, and so I've wondered actually kind of the same thing. And is it because it's not just football twenty four seven, but because they are given the space for their life too, that they are able to see how great life could be if they had more time with their family, um, you know, more time just to, to take a step away because we know how hard it is to not just play in the NFL, but to, to be at the point where you're competing for a Super Bowl and you're winning a Super Bowl. So I wonder if it's just because of the culture they have there that's kind of fostered that. A year ago, there were felt like a million questions about Matt Stafford, and they're all answered with the Super Bowl win. What is, what's the impression that you've got now, spending a few days around him, about just sort of how he's feeling in this moment? I think right now he's still dealing with, um, you know, working his way back from an elbow injury. He had the injection in his elbow during this offseason, so all spring he didn't throw. Um, during the break between mini camp and training camp, he said he did do some throwing and informal workouts, and then the first two days of camp he threw again. He didn't today because it's a deload day. Um, and so I think right now he's just talked about shaking off the rest and how good it feels to be out there throwing again. 
Now, he's, of course, been asked questions about, you know, how do you top last year? And he, he actually gave a funny answer. This was during minicamp. He said, you know, it's not like Cooper and I can go out and say, you know, Cooper, we're gonna, I'm going to throw for 7,000 yards. If you can't top it in that way, you know, they have both had such big seasons. But he said it's more just about finding the smaller things to work on with Cooper that probably we would all not even notice. You know, things they're seeing in film, just small tweaks that they know can help them be better. So that's one of my, you know, big storylines going into the season is how do you improve on that? And uh, Stafford seems like the way he talks, sounds like he's excited for that challenge and excited just to be back out on the field. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Sarah Barshop, ESPN Rams reporter. You can follow her at Sarah Barshop on Twitter. How big of a deal is it to see Von Miller go? I mean, that's one of the things that they've been able to do is pick up players for a year or so that will add to their to their run. Uh, but those those guys don't always stick around, and Vaughn is one of them. You know, talking to some people in the organization, they certainly, you know, felt it when Vaughn left. And I'm not suggesting that this is a direct replacement. Obviously, they play, you know, different positions. But Bobby Wagner coming in has brought that leadership in. So not necessarily a replacement on the field directly, but, um, you know, th- it was so important to them to have another leader in there. Whitworth retired. Um, you know, Vaughn Miller left, and – they just not that they had a gap obviously like their quarterback has you know played a long time and is a leader too but um i think you know everyone i've I've talked to has just said how impressive bobby wagner has been and his his just leadership role with the team so i think they kind of looked at it as like yes we would have loved to keep von miller but we didn't so what are other ways we can you know bring some of the his great qualities to the team we have now Sarah, obviously a Super Bowl championship creates some sort of a different level of hype. So what's the buzz around L.A., not necessarily a hyped NFL city all the time, for this Rams team? I notice a lot the excitement around the star players they have. Um, You know, we haven't had fans at practice yet. It's been just the media. So I'll be really interested to see what it's like when all the fans are there. But I was talking to some people around the building and they said they can't wait because they really, they said last year the fans were so excited and it was so fun to have them at camp, especially after a year when they didn't have fans. Um, And so for them to be back um, again this year, everyone is really looking forward to that. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's one of those towns that, Finds plenty to do in between the moments when they might be cheering on a Super Bowl run. Uh, let's go for expectations. There's been a lot of movement across the league, um, especially in the AFC. Some quarterbacks going to some teams that will get significantly better with their presence. How do you see the Rams' uh, ability to run it back this year? Look, no team has run it back for a, for a long time uh, since the Patriots did it. So. I don't even know that there's the pressure on this team. Of course, they all want to win again, but I've gotten the sense just from talking to some of the players, they know they can't put that pressure on themselves. Um, but just from watching practice, and look, it's been three days, it, it's a little different from watching Texans practice. Um, you can just tell how much <laughs> talent right now there's on that roster, you know, and, and veteran talent. Um, so, look, I, I don't know. I don't know that they're going to win a Super Bowl again, but I think they're going to be really exciting to watch. And after – after what I've seen so far, it just seems like this is going to be a really fun team to cover. You can follow her on Twitter at Sarah Barshop. Sarah, congratulations on moving over to the Rams. I know, obviously, always bittersweet when you change beats that you're covering. Did a great job with the Texans, but certainly a better football team right now. And some would argue L.A., you know, no offense to Houston, <laughs> might be a little bit better quality of life. So uh, really happy for you. Thanks, as always, for the time and the expertise. Thanks. Great talking to you guys. 
She she was very political on that too, Sarah. She didn't she mm-hmm. didn't take very smart. Any, she didn't take yeah, the bait. That, that's that's a smart way to go for it. All right, uh, that gets you the end. That is all of the two a days on ESPN Radio for our show. We've gone through every single one over the course of it. We've made it through all thirty two just to decide that the Raiders are going to win the Super Bowl. I mean, we could have done that day one and saved ourselves a lot of time. If you think that I'm an idiot, you should see Aaron Rodgers and what he wore today to camp. I can't figure it out. Sarah's got it figured out. We'll explain it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. I would be nervous about the start that my Chicago Sky have gotten off to in this Commissioner's Cup title game with the Las Vegas Aces. They are currently down 13-2, to two, but... Hey, got on the board. I remember a game <laughs> not too long ago when they were down somewhere in the order of like 40 points and stormed back to get the win. So congrats on yet another hot start. I look forward to when your three good players get tired and our tremendous depth, steps, depth steps up. Okay, let me just say something real quick. I need to get something off my chest. I am on antibiotics and they continue to make it difficult for me to talk and find the words I'm looking for, for some sort of head bacterial infection, something that's been bothering me for two weeks that you also seem to have, even though you're in a different state and yet somehow you gave it to me. Uh, so I just want to apologize for not being able to say depth steps up and yeah, win the, the game. <laughs> the only unfortunate thing here is that I can't even blame the antibiotics because everybody knows, like, even though I'm on what feels like enough antibiotics to, you know, cure a horse at this point, it, it doesn't matter. I can't oh, breathe when I don't have anything nice. in my system. <laughs> so, like, you, I got no excuse. If you like, ivermectin? It, it'll have, like, yeah, the, it, this will be, like, the opposite effect for me. Like, you know, when the, the eyes uncross after I get kicked in the head by a mule, like, that's my future. <laughs> uh, well, we're keeping an eye on the game. We were going to tell you our plans for the uh, avatars of our opponent uh, in the case of a loss or win. Uh and we're not going to. We're going to make it a surprise. Tomorrow during the show, likely, we will announce and unveil the offending avatars that will be assigned to whoever loses. And the Walker Hayes TikTok to the Y'all Life song, for which Fitz is in the video, will also need to be recorded and posted to the interwebs before the end of the week. Love so it. That is I'm, by you know. Friday. Yeah. Yeah, my mama's sweet tea is the sweetest. Uh, Fitz tendency to put bets off so that's why we're making that yeah we're very definitive uh, very definitive lines here and that that's really yeah. y'all that y'all that's for this y'all life that's because like uh, let's be very clear about life. it <laughs> i'm the one that only responds to exact structure like that there's right. just no there's no two ways for me unless you tell me exactly when it has to be done it just doesn't get <laughs> done so like uh, at least i'm learning myself in my middle-aged version of me that's the the best i can say well i'm gonna need to tell candace parker to get it done right now she's off so far and i do think there's something to be said and we talked about this earlier this game is i mean you know how much money is on the line for one win and that's a that's a it's a big deal fits to be told especially with the salaries in the wnba that you will get thirty thousand dollars for winning this game each person thirty thousand dollars just for, for one basketball game. That's a lot to know is riding on the line in, in addition to all the charities and other things that have benefited from this. So we'll keep an eye on the uh, Commissioner's Cup. It is on Amazon Prime. You can stream it uh, if you want to keep an eye on the comeback that my sky will shortly be putting together. One of the suggestions, fits for the avatar that you would make me rock for a full 24 hours is the look that Aaron Rodgers showed up to camp with today. 
And I have to admit, I was in the midst of doing something. And so when it popped onto my screen of my phone, I was a little behind and I hadn't checked to see what everybody else said and what he said about the look. And I immediately thought of Nicolas Cage in Con Air. I immediately posted the gif and said uncanny. And I did not know that Aaron Rodgers literally intended to look as much like that character as possible and arrived at camp in the white tank top, the scruffy face, the unkempt, unwashed shoulder length hair, the jeans and the belt buckle. Uh, He really just did the look top to bottom. And it was on purpose, which has me wondering why? (laughs) Just why? Why are you the way that you are? Why do you need so much attention? Why are you so thirsty for likes when you're a Hall of Fame quarterback? Why? Why must you do this? I am the first to admit that I'm not wired like a lot of people, especially a lot of people in our business that, you know, uh, uh, even when I was touring, the number of people I toured with that there are some acts that will bring, you know, hair and makeup when you're flying to L.A. so that, you know, you go off to the bathroom and you make sure you look perfect when you come in in case the paparazzi's there. Like, I I could not care less about any of that. You know, it, it's just, to me, I I just I don't care if I'm noticed when I walk into any room. So it's hard for me to figure out like putting like the actual mindset of like, hey, this is the look I'm going to go for when I walk into training camp. It just makes me I'm begging and pleading for us to get to normal football with the Packers as quickly as possible because we got sucked into the drama once and nothing changed because of it. We spent all this time Mm. talking about Gutekunst and Lafleur and Aaron Rodgers and literally nothing changed with all of them. So like, (laughs) well, he did get a tattoo. Uh, his significant other changed at least twice since then. And instead of being John Wick, now he's Nicolas Cage's character from Con Air, Cameron Poe. So a lot has changed, really. Yeah, that's fair. He does, like, I I, I see the Nicolas Cage thing, though. My first thought with him when he has the stringy long hair that doesn't necessarily look the most flattering for him is always to go to the nihilist, uh, one of the guys from the Big Lebowski. Like, I always think of him as being one of the, the... the mm-hmm. bad guys from the Big Lebowski. Like, that's yeah. the guy I always see in that. And I realized when I looked at those pictures today that that's not a very flattering comparison for him either. Like, well, Nicholas it's Cage, not a great least, look in know. general. Like, yeah. if he was walking down the street, there isn't a person on earth that would be like, you know what? I bet that guy's a tremendous professional athlete. <laughs> <laughs> like, nothing oh. about that look screams professional superstar athlete. Uh, listen, I will say this much. I'm obviously being a hater in part because it's Aaron Rodgers. I do appreciate commitment to a look. I love costumes. I love making an entrance. Personally, I'm offended if I walk into a room and no one notices, which is the difference between you and me. But still, I'm just not sure why he needs this. Like last year, it was all about I'm going out the hair for a really intricate Halloween costume, which ended up getting really weird, right? Because remember, he went to the Halloween party despite having COVID. And everyone's like, cool, (laughs) you have COVID, you're unvaccinated, and you're out at a a party. Um, But now there isn't a a reason for it. Like, now it's just his thing. And I guess it's kind of like, you know, one of the things I I think we should have a poll on sometime is the, the player that you hate the most on another team and love the most on your own. Because this is one of those situations where, like, I don't know if Justin Fields showed up dressed head to toe as some really amazing movie character, would I think it's awesome because it's Justin Fields or is it objectively lame and thirsty of him? 
I mean, I, I spent a lot of time praising Derek Carr's terrible hair last year. Like, I, like I'm like i the first <laughs> to admit it. When it's your guy, you forgive it. You know, there, there's no doubt about it. When it's your guy and he plays well, then everybody's good with anything that he does. But when it's your guy or girl and they come in and they, you know, they're acting like idiots or they're trying to get all the attention and they don't play well, then suddenly, all of a sudden, that person is vilified. Look at the way tone changed so much, even on Baker Mayfield's commercials, which were beloved when we thought that Baker Mayfield was going to have a great year Still for the Browns. Him. And yeah, so do I. But then the conversation <laughs> totally changes around Baker when suddenly he doesn't play well. So as long as Aaron Rodgers is playing at a Hall of Fame level, everybody's going to be good with whatever he wears walking into training camp. Well, it's going to be both, which we already know, right? It's like when you get to the top of your game, you're a target. And when you're struggling, you're a target. So he will please the people that care about the success of him and the Packers by playing well, regardless of the hijinks. And we saw that last year. And I think it partly might have contributed to his decision to stick around too, is that he knew that this was a place where he would have support regardless of all of the potential controversy around his decision-making and everything else. Um, so we know that the locals will be happy with him, and we know that people who respect his football game will be happy with him. As for everybody else, between the tattoo and the Blue Earth girlfriend and the I'm immunized and the everything else, maybe, maybe they'll feel a little different. The good news is Aaron Rodgers is going to be on with Freddie and Fitzsimmons next to talk about Woo! every aspect of the outfit. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. Go Sky. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.